Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Adam Wheeler. Hello. This month, we're talking about books that take place in outer space or another world. It's the second prompt in the 2021 Books and Bites Reading Challenge. And I'm curious how literally the two of you took this challenge. Did your books actually take place in outer space or another world? Yeah, surprisingly, I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. uh, Oh, God, I can't think of words right now. I didn't bend the goal on this one. I actually went to outer space in my book. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Michael? Yeah, this takes place on a completely different world. Like a different, another planet or? Another planet. Okay. All right. Well, I I guess I was the one bending the rules a little bit on this challenge. (laughs) One of us has to do it every time. (laughs) I went more with the fantasy um, side of another world. Um, So it a fantasy it's a historical fantasy so it's another world but um you know where like magical things happen but it's on the earth (laughs) just in a different time period okay all right (laughs) and you know we freely take liberties with the prompt so you are free to take them as well (laughs) We we made the prompts. We can we can break the rules a little bit. That's totally That's cool. right. Yeah. I recommend The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. This book takes place on the planet Cassandra 5, a mining outpost that is dry, barren, and riddled with caves. Mining companies hire cavers to explore the numerous cave systems, hoping to locate valuable veins of mineral and ore deposits. Most of the cavers are poor and desperate, only taking the highly dangerous but highly lucrative jobs to get enough money to get off world. Jire, our protagonist, is no different. She wants to get off world to find her mother who left when she was a child. Usually it takes two or three caving jobs to get enough money, but she's found a job that pays enough to do it in one expedition. That's why she lied about her experience to make sure she got hired on. As she starts her descent into the cave system, she discovers that the support team that a caver usually has is only one person, a woman named M, who monitors her 24-7 and has complete control of her specialized suit that she wears. In addition to the inherent dangers of caving, there's also creatures called tunnelers that move through the rock and are known to kill cavers. If Jira makes her way deeper into the cave and from supply cache to supply cache, she finds things aren't adding up. She finds that M is withholding information from her, like that 27 of the 35 previous cavers died in the cave, or supply caches that should be there are missing. And there's an unmistakable feeling that she's being watched and followed. So this is a super intense psychological survivor thriller that's equal parts atmospheric and claustrophobic with complex and flawed characters. The suspense is almost palpable as Jire descends deeper into the cave. I had to take breaks from the anxiety induced. With the cinematic writing, I kept recalling movies like Gravity, where Sandra Bullock has to survive on her own in space, and the horror movie The Descent, where where there's a group of women go spelunking in the cave 
that's inhabited by sightless horrors. We have a copy available in our science fiction collection, and it's always available as an ebook from Hoopla Digital. In one scene, as Jaira is trying to escape the cave, M says that she'll make her a roast dinner when she gets back to the surface. So I paired this with one of my favorite comfort foods, pot roast. I use a recipe from Maddie Matheson's Maddie Matheson the Cookbook, which is available as an ebook on Hoopla Digital. It calls for a four-pound rump roast, shallots, carrots, leeks, Dijon mustard, celery, red wine, and beef stock. It also calls for being cooked in a Dutch oven, which I've never used before and had to borrow one, but it turned out really good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. By the title of that, I was really hoping for bioluminescent zombies, <laughs> which might be the case. It's very timely because there's a new Resident Evil game coming out that people are very excited about um not to distract from from the story it does sound really cool <laughs> i'm glad you said the descent because i started thinking oh it sounds a lot like that yeah um, yeah, yeah. But the calls like which they're just they're just missing those eyeless zombies or <laughs> in this book exactly Sounds like a book that you would want something comforting, like a paris to eat while you're reading it. Yeah. It is intense. Like, you know, I love the suspense and thrillers, but this one was way up there, almost too much for me. Oh, wow. It just ratchets and ratchets and ratchets it up. Yeah, you're not selling it for me, but... It sounds like it'd make a really fun movie. Oh, it would. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I pick on you a little bit, Michael? Uh, how many it. how many times have you done pot roast for your bite? <laughs> <laughs> have I done pot roast more than once? I think so. Unless maybe I I I could be wrong about that. Maybe I've done it a couple of times. I'm not gonna lie, I did it out of the vittles before. But this was the first time in a Dutch oven. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There you go. And it's a little bit different. Does it make all the difference? Yeah, I say it was. Yeah, it definitely cooked different. My mom always called her Dutch oven um, her magic pot. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel that way about mine. I definitely want to buy one now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whether this is appropriate for the podcast or not. I can't hear the word Dutch oven without thinking of farting under the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to edit that out, Carrie, if you think it's necessary. <laughs> I've never heard that term in Really? Yeah. So, like, if you want to try it out, so you would be in bed uh, with, with your partner and you fart under the sheets and then you trap them under the sheets. That's a Dutch <laughs> oven. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> hmm. Something yep. new and fun to you test our relationship with during yeah. this pandemic. <laughs> I would not recommend it for um, trying to end an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the tip. <laughs> <laughs> So I think you'll agree that my February choice is out of this world. (laughs) (laughs) 
starting off strong here. Uh, Traveled <laughs> to the Moon and Back with Marissa Myers, Wires and Nerve, Volume 1, illustrated by Doug Holgate. This graphic novel series that suits readers in both middle and high school picks up where the Lunar Chronicle series left off. So, huge, huge bioluminescent spoiler warning. There's really no way for me to talk about this book without giving away plot points for the previous story. So if you want to avoid that, just go ahead and skip ahead. Skip ahead to <laughs> Carrie's. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Wire is in Nerve mainly follows Ico, an android whose quirky artificial intelligence has given her a full artificial humanity. She and the other heroes of the Lunar Chronicles have deposed a Lunarian, mind-controlling tyrant and restored the rightful heir to the Lunar Empire. Cinder, a young woman from New Beijing on Earth who became cyborg after an accident led to life-saving mechanical augmentation. (laughs) There's a lot going on. Uh, (laughs) Fellow heroes include Scarlet, Winter, and Cress, all dystopian sci-fi adaptation of popular Brothers Grimm tales. So if you think about their names, I'm sure you can figure out who is who. The story leaps right into action with android Ico hunting rogue human experiments on Earth. Enslaved humans that were turned to wolfmen through bioengineering and forced to serve in the Lunarian army. Since their liberation, the wolfmen have committed war crimes, murders, and caused general chaos. Action fans will enjoy the fight scenes peppered throughout the book. Um, And then other characters focus on restoring peace between Earth and the Moon, along with curing a plague that has rampaged through the Earth. Possibly a bit too real right now. (laughs) Uh, But this one's more like the Black Plague. It's not like what we're doing right now um (laughs) readers unfamiliar with the lunar chronicles can certainly blast right into these graphic novels as they do a good job of communicating big historical plot points while also progressing through the new story wires and nerve won't keep readers on the edge of their seats by any means i (laughs) i never felt any real worry that the heroes wouldn't make it through this volume in one piece but the story is engaging with just enough humor Saturday morning cartoon violence and light romance to keep the pages turning. Likewise, many of the conflicts really they could be resolved through communication, <laughs> which makes this a good story for teens to learn the importance of peaceful conflict resolution. Um, the flow of the story was sometimes jarring with unannounced transitions between characters located on the moon, earth, and traveling in between. So all of a sudden you're reading about one character and then it's boom, here's another character who looks really similar. <laughs> so you don't notice the transition. Mm-hmm. Um, the monotone blue illustration really didn't help me differentiate the sometimes too similar character designs. That said, it's it's really beautiful and it's it's fun to read. Um, and for all its flaws, this interstellar dystopian mashup of popular fairy tales is a is a fun journey, uh, which also means it, it counts for another book prompt. <laughs> <laughs> is that next next one? Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Wires and Nerve Volume One is available from JCPL via ebook on OverDrive uh, slash Libby or in hard copy. Um, and this is a graphic novel. I think I said that. Yeah. Uh, so 
For the bite, I would recommend making traditional Chinese mooncakes if you're feeling antsy and adventurous, but oh, it's a process. <laughs> it's a process yeah. I'm too lazy for. Oh, I was um, going gonna, gonna to ask if you had made them before, but no. Oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I looked at it and mm, no, I would eat them if someone made them, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, but for the folks looking for a less labor-intensive process, try homemade moon pies as described in Southern Living. These are delicious cookies sandwiched with marshmallow cream and dipped in chocolate. Tasty, sweet, puffy, and crumbly. Well, those sound pretty tasty, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they also are kind of a lot of work, but it's less than a moon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, our next challenge, because after reading my book for this challenge, I felt like, I was really glad that we had the adaptation next because um, I'm kind of in that headspace right now. It's really nice to like totally escape for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And for me, like there's so many uh, young adult novels and graphic novels that are mashups of stories that already exist. So it's going to be, it's going to be real easy for me to find something fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My first book is The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Although you won't travel to outer space in this novel, you will travel to an Anglo-Saxon fantasy world. The Buried Giant begins years after King Arthur's death. It's a time of peace from Anglo-Saxon wars, though that peace appears to have come at a price. People across the land are losing their memories. As the narrator states early on, the past, quote, had somehow faded into a mist as dense as that which hung over the marshes, unquote. The novel centers around Axel and Beatrice, an elderly British couple who leave their village on a quest to find their son before they forget him completely. When they stop for the night in a Saxon village, they are joined by the warrior Wiston and his charge Edwin, a 12-year-old orphan and warrior in training. The Saxon king has ordered Wiston to kill the she-dragon, Querig. Along the way, they meet the old knight Gawain, seeks shelter in a monastery that was once a fortress, encounter ogres and a swarm of pixies, and slowly begin to grapple with both good and bad memories. I would not have expected to love a novel with a dragon or knights as much as I loved this one, but it utterly transported me without bogging me down with excessive world building. The language is lyrical and timeless without the faux old English feel that often turns me off of historical fantasy. Parts of the book are suspenseful, but it's also character-driven and reflective, exploring the points of view of Axel, Sir Gawain, and Edwin. Like the best myths or fairy tales, The Buried Giant is also deeply layered. The plot reveals truths about memory and trauma that continue to be relevant. You won't find any hobbits sitting down to elevenses in this novel. The characters are too busy fighting for their lives to stop and eat. 
If only they'd had a batch of crispy peanut butter treats with chocolate chips to fortify them on their quest. This recipe from Alicia Silverstone's cookbook, The Kind Diet, is a slightly, and I mean very slightly, healthier version of Rice Krispie treats. It swaps brown rice cereal in for the Rice Krispies, brown rice syrup for the marshmallows, and adds in a little protein with peanut butter. Silverstone says she packs them in her suitcase for most trips. I've taken them traveling myself and found them to be a nice change from the usual granola bars. So, of course, we can't travel right now, um, but we can pretend we're traveling with a book and some brown rice crispy treats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could totally go hiking. Oh, or yeah, something. that's true. Yeah. 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 No, they would yeah. Be good for that. And you know what that reminds me? Oh, oh, sorry. Were you done? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That reminds me of those like peanut butter treats that Laura would, our coworker Laura would oh, make yes. and put out in the big pan oh, for yeah, staff to eat yeah. on. I miss those so much. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we can't help them right now. Um, as far as that book, it sounds like it takes a really a kind of unique approach with characters and that it mainly follows an older couple, which is so rare in fantasy. And I find that exciting. It makes me want to read it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it does. And, and also I think Sir Gowan is old in the book as well. And, and, you know, part of that is dealing with those themes of memory, but actually it's kind of interesting Usually we think of old people as losing their memories first, but in this novel, the elderly people are the ones who are maintaining at least some of their memory um, and the memory of the, of what happened before. Um, And also the other character um, that it follows is a 12 year old boy who's kind of been traumatized and, um, bullied by other people in the village so it does have it does have i think a unique perspective if you're a fan of space opera or maybe you're still looking for a book to complete last month's prompt of first in the series i recommend leviathan wakes by james s.a Corey, book one of the expanse series I just started this one myself. So humans have begun colonizing the solar system, Mars, the moon, the Astro Belt, and and a little beyond. Jim Holden, an XO of the ice miner Canterbury, inadvertently stumbles upon a derelict ship that contains a secret every major player in the system would kill for. With tensions running high in the system, Detective Miller, who's stationed in the belt, is tasked with finding the missing daughter of powerful parents. The trail leads Miller to Holden, who teams up to find this girl who may be the key to everything. And now they must be careful uh, to maneuver between Earth's government, the Outer Planets Alliance, Mars, and secretive corporations before all-out war breaks out. This series is about to include with a ninth title set to be published sometime later this year. Also, if you have Amazon Prime, this show, the show is fantastic with, the I think, the fifth season just premiered last month. Um, if you're a Star Trek fan or even a casual viewer, you should definitely check out Red Shirts by John Scalzi. This book takes on the infamous Star Trek trope of red shirts. 
basically, if you wore a red shirt and were called upon to go on a away mission, you likely didn't come back. Uh, this book follows instant Andrew Dahl after he is assigned to the Xenobiology Lab aboard the Universal Union Capital Ship Intrepid. At first, he's excited at the chance to go on away missions with the captain, lieutenant, and science officer. Then he notices why everyone below decks tends to avoid them at all costs. They always result in a violent confrontation, the famous officers always survive, and a low-ranked crew member is typically killed. So as Andrew does some digging, he discovers what the ship really is and how he can possibly save his crew members' lives. If you like your science fiction with some thrills and chills, I suggest Salvation Day by Callie Wallace. Decades after a nuclear apocalypse, a cult that resides in the North American desert is trying to escape oppression from the United Councils of Earth. They have their sights set on a derelict spaceship called the House of Light, that has been abandoned in Earth's orbit ever since a virus killed everyone on board a decade ago. When Adam, the cult leader, sends the last survivor, since they need her to open the ship, and a crew, and a crew of followers led by Zahara, they find that among the floating dead is a secret the government had thought they had long buried, but is now woken up. So, can one of you explain the term so space opera? Because I hear and see it a lot. I don't so, really know what the difference is between space opera and regular science fiction. I don't so either. Space <laughs> opera is pretty much um, there's wars in outer space, inter interplanetary conflicts, melodramatic adventure, a little romance thrown in there. So like Star Wars would be space opera. The newer Star Treks mm -hmm. uh, you know, by uh, what, what's his name? Abrams would definitely be space opera, um, the Expanse, the, that you know, that show. So, you know, high adventure in outer space with some war thrown in there. <laughs> okay. That makes that makes it even clear. Makes sense. Yes. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like opera drama without the singing. Space. Yeah. <laughs> right. There was that one movie with Mila. I can't pronounce her last name. The Fifth Element. There is. There's opera in that one. There is actual. Opera. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, there. There is an opera performance by this like alien uh, that is supposed to be like impossible, but you can find people actually doing it online, and it's really cool. <laughs> So a space opera opera. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Meta. <In> my mind. <laughs> so I will stick to my theme of the moon on my next one uh, and recommend. Sailor Moon, the manga, and the anime series, uh, original magical girl. Uh, Sailor Moon, uh, Usagi is her name, is the pretty guardian in a sailor suit. <laughs> so she's a magical superhero uh, who is awakened to her powers from a talking cat named Luna. Uh, so she finds other Sailor Scouts uh, 
starting with the 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 inner solar system of Mars, Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, uh, and they they save uh, people in Japan from becoming monsters. <laughs> It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it takes a while to get to the point where you do visit the moon, but it happens. So <laughs> it, is technically, it is technically part of what we're talking about. That one sounds fun. Yeah. So another great manga uh, with some beautiful illustration is Land of the Lustrous. Um, this is a world where all of the inhabitants that are left are basically personifications of minerals. Um, and their strength is relative to the hardness of the mineral that they represent. And we follow someone who is a very soft mineral. So she's considered weak and they give her this kind of keep her busy project of go catalog all of the living things that are left on earth. Uh, and the danger comes in because there are once again, villains on the moon um, I believe they might be called Lunarians also, <laughs> who come to kill these uh, these mineral people um, and consume their bodies in, in sort of a way. Um, it's, it's really fun. Uh, I will <laughs> say uh, I do have a little bit of trouble differentiating the characters in the black and white manga because the illustration style is really similar, <laughs> but it's absolutely beautiful and really fun. I recommend it. If you've already read The Buried Giant, you might try The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Though it's contemporary fantasy rather than historical, it also draws on British folklore and addresses themes of memory and loss. The book's narrator, a middle-aged man in town for a funeral, is drawn to the farm near his childhood home where three generations of Hemstock women lived. Sitting by the duck pond at the end of the lane, he remembers being seven and a series of strange events that began after a neighbor killed himself. As in The Buried Giant, the fantasy in the ocean at the end of the lane uncovers truths about our reality. It's a book about childhood and the mysteries of adulthood. It's about making sense of life and death. It's about connecting to and understanding the world around you, both seen and unseen. My next book is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. And both Melissa and I have talked about the Wayfair series in previous episodes of the podcast. And since it tends to appeal to readers who don't normally like science fiction, such as me, I thought I'd bring it up again. The first book in the series follows the crew of the spaceship, the Wayfair, as they tunnel wormholes to a distant planet. This cozy sci-fi novel focuses closely on the crew's day-to-day life on the ship, how they interact with one another, what they eat, how they support and compete with one another. It's also about how they become each other's chosen interspecies family. If you like your fiction to include quirky, likable, LGBTQIA plus characters, clever dialogue, and a feel-good tone, this might be the book for you. And I especially liked listening to the audiobooks of that series. 
Finally, one of our Books and Bites book club members recommends The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune, a fantasy novel that has been compared to The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. According to the publisher, quote, Linus Baker leads a quiet, solitary life. At 40, he lives in a tiny house with a devious cat and his old records. As a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth, he spends his days overseeing the well-being of children in government-sanctioned orphanages. When Linus is unexpectedly summoned by extremely upper management, he's given a curious and highly classified assignment, travel to Marcius Island Orphanage, where six dangerous children reside, a gnome, a sprite, a wyvern, an unidentifiable green blob, a were Pomeranian, and the Antichrist. Linus must set aside his fears and determine whether or not they're likely to bring about the end of days. But the children aren't the only secret the island keeps. Their caretaker is the charming and enigmatic Arthur Parnassus, who will do anything to keep his wards safe. Unquote. And I will say that I had a hard time trying to make that summary shorter. It seems to be a pretty um, plot heavy, seems to be a pretty plot heavy book. Um, so I would, I would keep that in mind if you were thinking of reading it. This kind of a plague of trying to introduce fantasy and sci-fi is there's so much going on and so much to introduce to have it make any kind of sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's just listing off a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I often find it hard to get into those books because I'm not so much, I don't read so much because of plot and so I just find that kind of like my eyes kind of glaze over <laughs> when when that happens. Um, so it's nice to find some books like um, like The Buried Giant or um, I, I think Neil Gaiman does it well, too, where you're just kind of drop you're it's a different world, but you're just kind of dropped into it without all this really excessive world building. Yeah, they really just trust the reader to be smart and be able to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I loved Neil Gaiman's American Gods uh, books and the TV series, which are uh -huh. vastly different from each other. Um, definitely yeah. an adult book, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I haven't, yeah, I haven't watched it. My husband and I started to listen to... Um, the American Gods audiobook, which was really well done. It's like a multicast thing. Um, but it was just, it was a little too heavy to, to listen to <laughs> on a road trip. Just wasn't, he really liked it. I mean, I thought it was good, but yeah, I'll have to try that some other time. <laughs> uh, I played it during a road trip. Uh, and let me oh, tell you, I turned it off. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> It got really uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I just listened to that on my own later. <laughs> okay, glad I'm not the only one <laughs> that felt that way. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. For more information about the podcast or the Books and Bites Challenge, visit our website at justpublib.org slash books 
hyphen bites. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com. <laughs>